Hello and good morning. My name's Dan. Uh, I'm one of the elders here at Crosspoint. And if you're visiting us here this morning, um, or you've you know, maybe been on vacation for a while, um, we've, we've been going through Psalms this summer, and it's been a great opportunity to dive into the Old Testament um, and hear from several different voices and give Dave a time, Pastor Dave a time to prepare for the fall and the spring and, and uh, the teaching and how God's leading him to teach, and it's, it's a wonderful opportunity for that. Um, this November 8th and 9th, uh, Crosspoint is asking men uh, to take time out and head over to Indianapolis for the Act Like Men conference. Um, there's going to be some great speakers there. Uh, Mark Driscoll, Matt Chandler, uh, Eric Mason, and others are really challenging and encouraging and equipping men to step up, and I think it's going to be great. Uh, if you're interested, uh, there's a sign-up sheet in the back. I think it's, the conference is like $69. Uh, let or let Eric Johnson know that you're interested. Uh, we need to have a count in the next uh, week or so. I think August 11th, we're kind of tentatively have a very deadline there for that. So just pray about that, guys. Think about that. I think it's going to be um, uh, a worthwhile for your time and your money uh, away from your families to, to get focused and equipped. Um, a few months ago, I started reading over many of the Psalms in preparation for today. I, I didn't really study them. I just kind of read them and, and let the kind of the scripture land on me and speak uh, to my heart. And I ended up deciding to share from Psalm 139 this morning. And then I just kind of set it aside. And so um, I was doing, we we're doing men's group uh, reading. And so I was focused on that. And then recently I sat back down and I started reading over Psalm 139. I kind of already had thoughts in my head of, of what I wanted to, or kind of how God was leading me to prepare on it. And so I read through it again and I was like, I don't want to talk about that. I want to, I want to talk about this. And then, um, you know, so I started writing. And then uh, a couple weeks, a couple days later, I read through it again. And I said, like, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about this. And, and that's what kind of amazes me about how God's word is alive and, and work, working in us if we are surrendered to it. And because I'll read scripture many times and it'll speak to me differently each time I read it. And so many of the, the thoughts that I have in my head will change because of what the word is teaching me. And this is what amazes me about God's Word in the Bible. Um, as we read and embrace the Psalms, we're, we're like joining people that have been reading these Psalms for 30 centuries. And you think about that, that's, you know, like everything from kings and peasant time, you know, prophets and priests to the apostles and, and martyrs and nuns and like reformers that were, you know, going to change things and uh, executives and professionals and customer service representatives and banjo players and all the other kinds of people. And um, they all dwell on these words and they found spiritual life and breath in them. And it, kind of a, something I ran across in this, I'll call it a, I call it a Bible geek kind of factoid. Um, did you know that the Psalms were divided into five books and, and uh, they kind of pattern the Pentateuch? That's a fancy word. And that Pentateuch is the first five books of the Old Testament. And so um, a number, the number of Psalms follows closely the number of sections the Pentateuch is divided into. And so that's led some biblical scholar people that are really smart to, to, to believe that um, shortly after, you know, during the post-biblical written time when the Scripture was all together, that, um, that oftentimes a passage from the Pentateuch and a passage from Psalms would be kind of read together or the passage from the psalm would be the, essentially the, 
the worship that was before the speaking. So um, with all this in mind, with how I've, you know, talked about how the Word can kind of work through you, uh, before I share uh, what Psalm 139 has said, you know, placed in my heart today, I simply want to read it and let the Word do what it does best uh, and speak to you and let God share with you what He wants you to hear today before anything I say gets in the way of that, okay? So Psalm 139, and I'm reading from the ESV. It's going to be up on the board there. O Lord, o Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your present presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wing of the take if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hands shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me is night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame is not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet there was none of them, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, there are more than the sand. I wake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with a malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any grievance, grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So maybe you heard those words, and as you were uh, trying to get around the fact that I was constantly stuttering and missing my words, or maybe you were reading them off the board, um, my hope is that, that God spoke to you in some way. And I encourage you to listen to that, and maybe make a note to yourself, and maybe Later on today, take some time to flip your Bible practically open to the middle and, and read through the psalm again and, and realize that this is how God uses Scripture and how He uses the Word to speak to you. Everyone here, unless you're a cyborg or some sort of um, other cool thing, um, has a, a mother and a father. Uh, as we grow up, we see... Uh, the traits of our parents in some, some of us, you know, in ourselves. Sometimes it's how we look. Uh, people will say, you have your father's eyes. Um, maybe you listen to your mom laugh, and you realize you laugh in the same way. It's, for me, it's my dad. He laughs, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. 
Um, other times you find yourself uh, acting or behaving how your parents behave. Uh, words will jump out of your mouth, and after you say them, you're shocked at how much they sound just like your parents. Um, some of those traits are genetic, and you know, others are learned. Personally, I see bits of myself in all three of my children. Uh, my oldest son tends to be very loyal, uh, a good friend, and I, that's something I see in myself. Uh, my daughter is like inherited my geekness to the core. Uh, she can, we, the two of us sit down and we play Castle Storm, which you may not know, but we just play that game for hours. Uh, and my youngest seems to inherit this like very tenacious competitive streak that I'd like to say is from Holly, um, but it's not. It's from me. Um, when, when we become parents, uh, either you or your family members will most immediately begin to make comparisons between you know, the new baby and his uh, or her relatives. And as they grow um, and we parent and raise them, we will see, uh, see them thrive and become little individuals. But we also see them struggle, sometimes with the same issues or even the same sins that we have ourselves uh, battled at times. And as parents, we see our children who are such examples of the best and worst parts of us sometimes that we understand the, the issue of, uh, of the sin is much greater than, than the child does. You know, we've been there, uh, we've done that, and, and we have this understanding because of our own struggles. Okay, so take that understanding of what we have of our, our, our children and apply that to how God the Father, his point of view on us. God's understanding of you, his creation is, is intimate uh, and complete. There is not even one tiny area of our lives that God doesn't know and understand like the back of his hand. I take immeasurable comfort in knowing that no matter the struggle, no matter the mountain in front of me, whether it's a family crisis or a particular circumstance that um, you know, is the outcome of my own sin, my heavenly father has seen it and he already sees me on the other side of it. So, you know, Psalm, 1, uh, Psalm 139, 1 through 6 starts out by saying, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before the word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before before you lay your hand upon me such knowledge is too wonderful for me it is high i cannot attain it god understands our unique characteristics that we inherited from our parents he knows our personality and we're his design uh, he understands our behavior better than any human ever will he knows that how and and by whom we were raised he knows the you know the environment psychological psych Psychologists like to talk about environmental behaviors that people are exposed to. He knows what molds our thoughts and instincts. He has known you since before you were conceived, and he does not reject or despise you. He has a masterful and wonderful plan to recreate you. He knows your mind. He knows your emotions and will. He understands why you think the way you do. He understands why in that moment... You made that choice. And he didn't send his son to condemn us. He sent Jesus to change us. And John 3.16, usually people just read that verse, but then 
tack 17 onto it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Hear that truth again. God did not send his son to condemn you. He sent Jesus to change you, to reject, to redirect our energies and decisions to holy and noble purposes. Isn't that amazing? This surrendered understanding is what sets followers of Christ apart from the rest of the world. And it is a changed life that God is calling us all to. David sums up verses 1 through 5 by saying, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I cannot attain it. Let me, let me paraphrase that or modernize it for David here. In verse 6 he's saying, God, you blow me away. Holy smokes. I mean, can you grasp that he knows every thought you've ever had plus those of all the billions of other people that are just alive today, let alone all, you know, forever. It's hard to take in. Now, if, if God sees and knows everything I do or say and everything I think, and what does that mean? It means he, he has the enormous power to encourage me in what's right. And he can also help me in temptation. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10, 13 says, uh, but we will not boast beyond limits, but we will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. This is an encouraging verse because God knows in advance what you're going to face. And he promises to provide a way out of this temptation. He knows exactly the struggle that's going on in your mind. He sees it coming before, uh, before, before you even do. And he's preparing an escape route for us so that we can get away from this temptation. Also, because God sees me when I'm being tempted that motivation for me to not give in, uh, I don't necessarily want to sin when he's watching. Uh, I mean, it's human nature, you know, if, you, if you're driving down the highway and you, you're just like a cop, like, you know, you know it's going to be down there, then you, you don't, you, you slow down. You try not to slam on the brakes because you don't want to be obvious that you've been speeding. Or, or maybe you're like me and you're just, you know, following the speed limit all the time. You're getting razzed by your wife because you're honor boy or whatever. Um, if you're Holly, you're going seven miles an hour over the limit on cruise and just not even thinking about it. Just keep on trucking. She gave me permission to say that. Um, if you know your boss is watching, you know, you're not going to sit there and play solitaire on your computer. Uh, so, so when I'm tempted by God, so when I'm tempted, God wants to help me out. Um, this coming week, you're going to face some sort of temptation. I'm going to, we're all going to face some sort of temptation. I don't know when it'll come. I don't know what it'll be, but God does. So you can pray to that. He already knows about it, and he's already prepared for you to escape it. So don't give in to it. Surrender to Jesus. And as we seek to follow Jesus and use his teachings and his word to guide our lives, okay, and then we share it with the other people that are in our you know, lives, our circles uh, around us, I can just envision God, much like us as parents, looking down at his children and saying, you know what? I see myself in them, and I just think that's beautiful. So let's move on to the next theme of the psalm. And in verses 7 through 12, David talks about the omnipresence of God. Omni means all, so this really just means all present. Uh, It means that God is present everywhere in the universe at the same time. So it says here in Psalm 
139.7 through 12. Uh, where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your present presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take my wings of if I take if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, the light and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The dark is bright as day, for the darkness is light with you. Now, when I read this, uh, I don't know which time, but it kind of hit me. I was kind of like, really everywhere in the universe? I mean, the universe is pretty big. And really, doesn't God just really just need to monitor kind of what's going on here at Earth, right? Um, but then, you know, the answer to that question or that thought, that rabbit trail, um, is also found in Scripture in Colossians 1, 16 through 17. It says, For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, uh, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in, in him all things hold together. So that's really And in him all things hold together. So we kind of dwell on that. And I love science, okay? Um, I visit space.com weekly. I watch YouTube videos about scientific theories. I dig science fiction that often speculates about future technologies and lightsabers. And I'm good at Star Trek trivia, and I like the TV show Big Bang Theory. And uh, that's for Steve. And when I follow many of the de developments, I get excited when mankind makes discoveries or learns something about the universe. Okay? I long for the days of the past, sound like a great story, Grandpa, when science and, and faith, Christian faith, uh, we're better allies in the pursuit of, of truth. Because when I look at the stars, I see a marvelous creation. And that worldview shouldn't uh, you know, negate my opinion on the ideas of coloniz colonizing Mars. I mean, um, when you hear me talk about a church plant on Mars in 2048, you heard it here first, okay? Um, see, much of life may seem uncertain, but when you... Look, there's so many things that we can count on day after day. I mean, not the weather, but um, gravity remains constant. You know, this cup of coffee is going to cool down if I don't start drinking it. Um, the, the earth rotates the same 24 hours. And the speed of light doesn't change uh, here on earth or in some distant galaxy. It's all the same. How is it that we can, you know, identify laws of nature that never change? Why is the universe so orderly and so reliable? Um, great, the greatest scientists have been struck by how strange this is. There's no logical necessity for a nature that obeys any rules, let alone one that abides by the rules that can be defined by mathematics. Uh, this astonishment springs from the recognition that the universe doesn't have to behave this way. I mean, it's easy for scientists, not, not me, to imagine a universe where conditions change unpredictably from instant to instant, uh, or even a universe where things pop in and out of existence, but it doesn't, because God is present completely in the entire universe, because if he wasn't, the whole thing falls apart. Richard Feynman, he's a Nobel Prize winner, winner uh, for quantum electrodynamics, said, why nature is mathematical is a mystery. The fact that, we are, that there are rules at all is kind of a miracle. 
Now, I don't think he'd agree with me sharing that in a sermon to prove God, but it's truth. When you think about this, the, the nearest... I'm going to geek out for a little bit, okay? I apologize. When you think about this, the, the nearest star is 4.5 light years away from the Earth. To reach it by a jet plane, it would take 53 billion years. That's pretty far away. And we've got this Hubble telescope that can send back pictures from galaxies that are 2,000 times farther than that away. The, the light from those galaxies uh, left there 7,000 years ago and is only now reaching this part of the universe. But God is fully there in that furthest galaxy, just like he's like right here in this room. He is omni everywhere present. And have you ever noticed that like when you get a car, a new car, suddenly you notice like all the other people that have that same car, you know? It's like when I first started collecting baseball cards, I suddenly realized that they were for sale everywhere. That's not true anymore. Another great story, Grandpa. Um, when you acknowledge God, you start seeing him everywhere. You realize that he is everywhere, and he's touching every single part of our life. You see, if you, if you know that God, if I know that God is always with me, then I can depend on him no matter what I face. No matter the trouble that I'm facing, no matter how bad things look, um, I know he's right there with me. In verse 10, he says, even there, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I realize that, that God is with me, then I have nothing to worry about. He will guide you and hold you fast. You can trust in him no matter what comes along. For the last several years of my life uh, with Holly and the family, uh, we, our lives have been pockmarked uh, by some pretty big life challenges. You know, sick, a sick child, terminally ill family members, job loss, and the list goes on. But as Holly and I grabbed hold of God and his promises to deliver us through these times, we could see him touching all these other areas of our life, biggest and smallest. And God amazes me with his love for all of us and the fact that he is everywhere. And, and I can't think, that's the, just praise him for that. In the next section of Psalm 139, this is one of the Bible's you know, best-known parts. Uh, it's what the reason most people really love this psalm, and it's, it makes its way onto Facebook and things like that. It says here, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my un unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast the sum of them. If I would count them, they were more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. So here's the point of that, at least what I, when I read it. God created us exactly the way we are. He created you exactly the way you are. And it's all part of his perfect plan for you. you did you know that... I, Holly told me to give just like a complete disclaimer for what I was sharing this morning. That it's going to be a complete nerd fest. But did you know that every cell in your body exists in a, 
with a very detailed instruction code, like a, a miniature computer program. As many of you know or may know, a computer program is, is when you break it all the way down to the machine uh, language, it's just a bunch of ones and zeros. Now, normally I only put scripture up here, but I didn't want to read binary to you, um, but that's what it looks like. And um, so when you're playing Angry Birds or Microsoft Office or uh, you know, whatever you're doing, at the end it looks like that. Um, and it's, the way it's arranged tells the computer program what to do. Uh, DNA code in each of our cells is very similar. It's made up of four chemicals, the scientists abbreviate A, T, G, and C, and they're arranged in the human cells like that. Again, I didn't want to read that to you, and so on. Um, and so there's three billion of these letters in every human cell. And so just like a program that you, pl that you set up on your iPhone to beep or make a noise for a specific reason, our DNA instructs the cell um, that, you know, the DNA is a three billion lettered program telling each cell how to work in a particular way um, to it gives the cell its full instruction manual. So just like when you look at machine language in a code, you know, if you're watching the matrix or something, um, or you're a programmer, the, the organizational structure of it says there's a creator, hints at a creator. You know, we know someone made Angry Birds because it's coded. And the organizational structure and everything in the human cell screams that there's a creator. So you have to ask, how did this information program wind up being in each and, and every human cell? You know, it's not chemicals. These are chemicals that instruct uh, and code every detail of exactly how every person is supposed to develop. Natural biological cases are completely lacking in this explanation uh, when programmed, where programmed information is involved. You cannot find instruction, uh, precise information like this without there intentionally be someone, being someone intentionally constructing it. God wanted us to look the way we look. He wanted you to, way, to look the way you look. He wanted you to have exactly the skills and abilities and talents that you have. That was his perfect design. In verse 13, David says, You formed my inward parts. You, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Would you say the same thing that David did? Would you look at the way you're made and say, Wow, God, you did a great job on me. Not a pride thing, but I am wonderfully made. Way to go, God. Not, not many of us would really be that excited about how God made us. Uh, many of us are self-critical and we're putting ourselves down. But we should praise God for his wonderful creation. I mean, this is you. You are a marvelous creation, and you were designed exactly the way he wanted you to be. Not only did God make you a wonderful creation, but God has a plan for your life. All the days ordained to me were written in your book before one of them came to me to be. During the, the great, there was a Great Depression in Ireland. Um, they had a work program to give people jobs. Uh, they put people to work uh, building roads, and for a time the men would work, and they would sing the Irish songs, and they would work hard, and they would be glad to go back to work again. Um, but after a while, word got out the roads that they were building didn't really go anywhere. Uh, the government just wanted to create work, so that these roads you know, just ran into swampland and then stopped. And as truth gradually dawned on them that they were you know, put to work, provide solely so that they would have an employment, um, as an excuse to just really feed them, 
but the men grew discouraged and unmotivated, and they stopped singing. One of them said, roads to nowhere are difficult to build, and that's true. If you can't see a lasting purpose for what you're doing, then why do it? Why waste the time? God has a purpose for every person, and because God has a purpose for you, this means that you're on a mission from God. God got, has God has some uh, work to do in this world that he has called you to do. Uh, we're on this earth uh, to live life joyfully, wildly, and breathing for him. And when we understand that, it makes all the difference. The final, their fourth, really, section of the psalm here talks about how God is leading you. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with a malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there are any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. In this part of the psalm, David speaks that God's thoughts about us are numbered, outnumber the grains of sand. And what that means is that God is thinking about us all the time. You know, but what, what is he thinking? Uh, one of the things he's thinking is about us in verse 23. He says he's searching our heart. He's searching our motives and our anxious thoughts, our worries. Um, and he's trying to lead us to the right direction. Now, before you think that uh, can't be right because there are billions of people and so on, and he can't think about us all the time, and he's busy with the you know, billions of other people, remember that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He is constantly thinking about me, and he's constantly leading me. So I can follow him and rest in that and be blessed. It ultimately doesn't matter how I appear to any of you or what anyone else thinks about me. What matters is what God thinks about me. He knows what I'm really like. He knows what I really think. And he knows what my motives really are. What matters is the integrity of our lives when nobody is looking. Because there is always someone looking. God. He says, I saw that act. I saw that kind thought. I saw the patience that you had with your child just like I have for you. Good job. I'm watching. And this is a tremendous motivator for me to live a godly life when I realize that nothing in life is secret. God sees all. I mean, the greatest sin for the devil to have you have is the one that you're okay with. And having a personal relationship with God is the ultimate accountability partner. Do I, do I behave because I want God's, to be on God's nice list? No, I, I seek to change by following Jesus because I want to have a better understanding of my Father, God. And I don't want our relationship to be hindered in any way. That my 
human tendencies will not get in the way of getting closer to God, the Father, so that I can look at myself and, and wonder as a creation of the King and seek to use the tools He has created me with to serve Him. I invite you to seek after God in this way. God's presence is here with us. It's with us here this morning, whether you're aware of it or not. He wants you to know Him, and He wants you to feel His love. If you're not sure you know Him this morning, then, then why don't you pray to yourself this thought? I'd like to know you. I'd like your presence in my life. Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus says, I'm knocking at the door of your life. If you open it up, I will come into your life and live with you and you with me. So just, just say, Jesus Christ, come into my life right now. I need your life. I need your help to change me. I need you to save me, and I also need you to be my Lord. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank, that, I thank you that you're always with us and that you know us better than we know ourselves. Thank you that you are consistently and constantly thinking about each of us and looking for ways to help guide us. Thank you for the confidence and the comfort that comes with your presence. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.